we just heard uh, what is the story of the Transfiguration. Today is, a, is actually a, a Transfiguration Sunday. It happens the Sunday before Lent every single year. And um, so this is an assigned reading for the day. Um, and so many, many churches um, will be hearing that story today. It's a weird story, isn't it? It's a very strange story. And if, if we told this story as though we were part of it to one of our friends or someone we knew, they would think we were absolutely nuts. That we, yeah, we went on a, we went on a hike with Jesus and we, we went up a, a, a mountain and it was really great. And you know what happened there? Uh, Moses and Elijah, um, these two uh, dead uh, prophets and leaders from way back thousands of years ago, showed up. And, uh, and then the guy I was with had the bright idea, we should build some tents so that we can have a camp out here on the mountain with you. Um, and uh, suddenly Jesus turned bright white and it was like the sun and we could barely look at him and we heard a voice and, uh, and then it all went away and everyone disappeared and we walked down the mountain and Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this. <laughs> but sorry, I'm telling you because it's, it's weird. It's a weird story. The story, though, in, in Mark actually plays a particular role in the overall story that's being told. It's actually a, kind of like a pivot point in the story of Mark where you get revealed uh, once again Jesus' true identity. And from that point on, the, the story just speeds up and, and they head towards Jerusalem, and they get to the end of the story really, really quickly. I mean, Mark's 16 chapters, and so this happens in, in chapter 9. Um, but after that, it's just a it's lightning pace, and they just get to, the, get to, the sto- to part of the story to Holy Week. And, uh, and what's going to happen with Jesus' death and resurrection? So it's this, this pivot point. Um, this morning, what I want to do is not necessarily try to, to make the story less weird or to try to walk through exactly what we learned from the Transfiguration, um, but to look at a question of what does it mean to follow Jesus and to look at what happens between Jesus and really the chief follower as described in Scripture, uh, Peter, or Simon, he's called at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, his name is Simon, and then he, it, he started to call Peter. And so we're going to try to get at this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, Or another way of phrasing it is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And and a different way of saying it is, what does it mean to be discipled by Jesus? Right, which is kind of an interesting way of, of talking about it. What does it mean to be discipled by Jesus? And so we're going to look at, um, I think it's six... Uh, Six points. Um, The first thing of what it might mean to follow Jesus is uh, to believe who he is. To believe who he is. And we should have that. There we go. Great. Um, And we'll find this throughout the Gospel of Mark. This is kind of given to us. It's laid out for us pretty clearly. And there's, there's certain terms that are used to talk about Jesus. The very first one in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of Mark's gospel is this. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
if you follow, are a follower of Jesus, you first are someone who believes that he is, in fact, the Son of God. There's other terms that are used for him uh, throughout the gospel. Messiah, which just means anointed one. Son of man, he often talks about himself as son of man. And there are nuances to these terms, but we're not going to get into that today. Essentially, if you're reading through, you can kind of read these as interchangeable terms. Essentially, what is trying to be conveyed in the gospel is that Jesus, as he is a human being, but that Jesus is, is God, that he's the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus is God. So the Son of God, the Messiah, or this term, the Son of Man, is really trying to convey to us that Jesus is divine. And a follower of Jesus first believes who he is. And we find that this gets echoed throughout the gospel. So at Jesus' baptism, which is just 11 verses into the gospel, we get a voice coming from heaven that says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He's God's son. In Mark chapter 8, just before the transfiguration story, Jesus is is uh, talking with his closest disciples, and he asks them, who do people say that I am? This is in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And they give all kinds of answers, like, well, you're one of the prophets. That's who people are saying you are. And then Jesus asks them the more pointed question in verse 29, but who do you say that I am? And here's where the interplay between Jesus and Peter gets really interesting. Because Jesus, or Peter gives the right answer. He says, you are the Messiah. Then, in the Transfiguration story, Mark chapter 9, verse 7, what we just heard, there's this voice that comes out of the cloud. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. God's son. If we continue on to the rest of Mark's gospel in chapter 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking to them about uh, the end of all things. Um, And he says, many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And this might not sound like Jesus is really saying too much, but if you go and you look at the Greek of what is being said here, Jesus doesn't say, I am he. It actually says, many will come in my name and say, I am. And if you know anything about the story of Moses and the burning bush where God is asked his name, what does he say? I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And God is, after that, known as the I am, the great I am. And so Jesus says, many will come in my name and say, I am. And they'll lead many astray. And Jesus' implication is, many will come in my name, uh, that I'm the only one who can say that. Jesus is the only one who can say, I am. And it'll be true. And then that gets echoed very quickly in Mark chapter 14, verse 61. It's this section where Jesus has been arrested and he's being questioned by the high priest and the high priest finally asks him, after Jesus has stood there silent for most of the interrogation, the high priest finally asks him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. 
as a follower of Jesus, you first need to be willing to believe that this is who Jesus is. The second thing, as a follower of Jesus, to do it, to be a follower, is to let him be the master. In other words, you have to understand that you are the disciple. So, Jesus' identity and you believing that identity about him, that, that is kind of background in a sense. Because your primary way of relating to Jesus is not in terms of this uh, intellectual belief in who he is. That's not your primary way of relating to Jesus as a follower. Your primary way of relating to Jesus is him as Lord. In other words, you as the disciple are not the one deciding on what goes on in Jesus' kingdom. So at first, you'll find that disciples, what they do is they get the, they get the rewards of following the master. When they first come to the realization of who he is, it's, oh, wow, this is a whole new world opening up to me. And then it turns into, oh, but this is actually going to change me. He's the Lord, and I have to... If I'm following, then, then I have to listen. And in Mark's gospel, this gets bound up with the third thing um, that I think we need to do as followers of Jesus. And that third thing is this, is to, to grapple with and ultimately accept what Jesus does. And what I mean by that is particularly his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And what we find in Mark's gospel between sort of the second and third thing um, is that Peter fails, really, at this. As Jesus' chief follower, Peter fails terribly. And his failure in this regard shows us, uh, it it illustrates for us that, that Peter doesn't want to really give mastery over to Jesus fully. Nor does he want to face the reality, the true reality of what Jesus came to do. And you know what? It's interesting to me that many people who get past our first thing, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe he's God. Yeah, I believe all those things. They get past that, but they get stuck and start to really struggle with what it means to let Jesus be in control. And they also tend to struggle greatly with accepting the cross or the resurrection or both. And that's exactly what happens to Peter. Peter has no trouble. You're the Messiah. I know exactly who you are. But he has real trouble accepting the real meaning of what that is and of submitting himself to what Jesus is going to do and where Jesus is leading. He has real trouble doing that. So when when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am, and Peter answers correctly, you are the Messiah, the, the very next verses are these. So this is verse 31 to 33 of Mark 8. Then he began to teach them, this is Jesus began to teach them, that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. In other words, Peter says, no way. There is no way, Jesus, 
and he actually gets angry with Jesus for even suggesting that this is what's going to happen to him. And so this is when we get the famous response from Jesus back to Peter. It says, but turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter, rebuked him right back, and said, get behind me, Satan, because you're setting your mind on divine, not on divine things, but on human things. You're not seeing correctly. And you'd think after that, after being called uh, Satan, essentially, that uh, Peter would figure it out and know, okay, I just need to trust Jesus. But no, this is just the first, this is just the opening. It's just the first thing with Peter. So in our story that we heard, the transfiguration, right? They go up the mountain. Peter sees the transfiguration. Whoa, there's Moses and Elijah, and there's, he's transformed, and there's this bright light, and it's unbelievable. And, and what does he say? Well, you know what we should do is we should just stay up here on the mountain. I'll build tents for us, and no one else should ever know about this. I mean, it's essentially what he's saying. He gets it totally wrong. So wrong that maybe that's the reason why Jesus says, don't say anything to anyone. And you're not ready at all. Wait till after the resurrection when you'll understand what this is about, is essentially what Jesus says as they go down the mountain. And then the big one happens. In Mark 14, Jesus predicts that Peter is going to deny him or betray him. And Peter's response to this, which we often forget that this conversation happens between Peter and Jesus. So if you look in Mark 14, verse 31, Peter says to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 35 verses later, we get the story of Peter denying Jesus three times. Three times. Jesus had been arrested, and people start asking, are you the man? Are you with, are you with Jesus, the one who's been arrested? And each time he's asked, he says, no, you're wrong. I don't know him at all. He completely disowns Jesus. When he's confronted with the actual suffering and pending death of Jesus, he backs right off. Because it just doesn't fit into what he thinks Jesus should be. Yet, for followers of Jesus, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection are the cornerstone of understanding who God really is. And so as a follower of Jesus, you need to grapple with and ultimately accept this. Peter flat out rejected it and in a way was defeated by it. He would not stand with Jesus to the end. Many of us in his situation would have done the same thing. Yet this is, this is where um, we get to be surprised by God's grace and God's love. Because in the end, Peter experienced the full force of the forgiving love of God in Jesus Christ. In the end, Peter was the one who led the church and stood up and proclaimed Jesus crucified and risen. He shouted it from the rooftops. And in the end, Peter too, like Jesus, was killed for his faith. In a way, Peter did die with Jesus. 
and was willing to let himself be killed for his faith. His faith became that strong and that solid. We've got to grapple with this death and resurrection of Jesus and ultimately accept that this is God's way, God's chosen way of reconciling us and the world to himself. We've got to enter into it deeply and study it and learn it if we are going to be true followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you'd think that might be all that we need to do. But I'd like to suggest that the fourth one is similar to what we've already talked about, but it's to be a true apprentice. So if you think of, uh, we sometimes like disciple, we use that word, or follower, but a really helpful word that I've found is to think of ourselves as apprentices, that Jesus is the master and we are apprentices, we're learning. And what you find is it's not just about the learning, but it's also an apprentice's character gets shaped by the master. It's not just to learn about learning skills. If it was that, we'd just only have the book, and we'd only take the, the course and only listen to the lectures. But an apprentice is, is hands-on, and you get shaped by the person who is teaching. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, your attitudes and actions will start to reflect his attitudes and actions because you're an apprentice. You're learning from him. And Jesus teaches on this really directly throughout the Gospels, but I think uh, more so uh, it, it's most clear in Mark 8. And again, it's right around that time when he talks about his identity. The, the very next section after he's rebuked Peter and uh, said, get behind me, Satan, to him, uh, is, is Mark uh, 8, 34 to 35, where he says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose, my lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And then this gets echoed again. They go and they, they do the transfiguration up on the mountain just after that. And then just after coming back down the mountain, there's a, a healing that Jesus does. And then another conversation with his disciples where he declares in Mark 9, 35, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And I think in a lot of ways that, that summarizes what it means to follow Jesus if you're going to allow your character and your actions to be shaped by him. That's, it's not so much about believing uh, intellectually that he's the son of God or grappling with his death and resurrection, although I think it's an outcropping of that. But here's something really clear, that Jesus came to serve. And as followers of him, that is our attitude. And those are to be our actions toward one another and to this world. The fifth thing that I wanted to emphasize this morning is just the basic of keep learning. Um, this, this is really here just to illustrate that this list is not a progression. Okay, so it's not like you're going to, okay, let's get through number one, and now we'll go to number two, and then we'll keep going along this list. In, in fact, if you want to do that, when you get to number five, go back to number one, and just keep going through the list over and over again. I mean, that's really what I want to encourage you to do, is that disciples of Jesus don't stop learning. 
think about it this way. That God, can you ever know everything about God? No, not at all. And it's not that you should be trying to learn everything about God, but there's always something new to learn. And if we lose that and just stay uh, at one place in our faith, then we're really missing out on what it means to have this wonderful, life-giving relationship with Jesus. Imagine if we treated our, our human relationships like that. We, we treat our, our relationship with God and with Jesus like this a lot, where we'll stay at, uh, you know, whatever we learned the last year in Sunday school, pretty much stay there. Or we go to one Bible study, and that was 10 years ago, and we learned a couple of things there, and then we stayed there. Imagine if we treated our human relationships like that, where I just said, well, you know, I was in love with my wife just before we got married, and, you know, for the first year, and that was great, so I'm just going to stay there in our relationship. I mean, our marriage would have been over in year two, right? We can't do that with human relationships. Human relationships, they grow, they change, we learn more about one another, and we are changed by one another. Yet we're great at shutting God off and not allowing God to change us and teach us. We need to keep learning and keep growing in our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And then the last one, which we often ignore as well or forget, is to make disciples. Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, make other followers of Jesus. Um, we get this most clearly in, actually, Matthew's gospel. At the end of the Matthew's gospel, we get, what, we get what's called the Great Commission, where Jesus says, he sends out his disciples and tells them to go out into the, all the world and make disciples of all peoples. But we get it in Mark as well. And Mark is really a, a fascinating book because as we get to the very end of Mark, there are actually clues and pointers that what you really need to do is go back and reread the gospel now that you know the ending. So we, we tend to know the ending because we know that Jesus, there's an empty tomb at the end and Jesus is risen. So we ought maybe automatically read Mark that way. But, I, but if you imagine what it is to be the first readers or the first people who are hearing this story and, and go and read the end of Mark, it ends in a, in a terrible way, really. Um, the women go to the tomb early in the morning, and there's a, what's said, a young man, or it's presumed it's an angel, who announces to them, Jesus is not here, he's risen, go and tell his disciples, and Peter, Peter's singled out, go and announce this to them, and tell them that Jesus is risen and is waiting for them in Galilee, just as he told you. And then the very last verse basically says, that the women left the tomb and were terrified and said nothing to anyone. The end. <laughs> Thankfully, we have Matthew, Luke, and John that tell us what happened at the, rest, at the end of the story. But I wonder, and one of my New Testament professors talked about this, about whether there's this pointer at the end to say, Jesus has gone back to Galilee, which is where they started, calling these simple fishermen on the boat, and maybe what the writer of Mark is trying to say is, go back to the beginning of the gospel. Go back to Galilee and learn what it means to follow Jesus by reading this gospel. And what is the first thing that Jesus says to Peter? Does anyone know? Follow me, 
and I will make you fish for people, or I will make you fishers of men. The initial call to follow Jesus was not follow me and learn that I'm the son of God, or follow me and you'll see a bunch of healings, or uh, it wasn't any of that. It wasn't uh, follow me and learn. It wasn't follow me in this list that I've given you today. It was follow me and I will make you someone who goes and finds other people who will follow me. It's a call to make disciples. It's a call to not keep this faith to ourselves. And this is central and core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so some of us will do uh, various things on this list really well, but we'll often leave this last one off and we'll forget that this is central and core to who Jesus has called us to be as followers of him. We're going to uh, share communion today. And as we do that, I'd like you to think this morning about where you're at in your own following of Jesus. I mean, it might be even, for some of you, it might be before this list. And this isn't, an ex- you know, there's other things. This isn't trying to give you the whole picture. But you might even be, well, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure about, this, about who Jesus is. Or maybe you've heard something this morning that, that says, well, okay, I, yeah, I'm ready to, like, I, I believe it. And, and I want to I go the next step. I want to go further with this. Now, if that's you, you're welcome at this table. If you're still saying, well, I don't know, um, it, the table is for those who trust in Jesus. So you can, you can wait until you've, you've thought more about it. But you're welcome at the table. If, you're, if you know, yeah, I, I believe, I, you know, I'm, I'm at various levels and steps along the way in all of these areas, but I've got that belief. You can come to the table. And so as you do, think about, think about where you are and, what, and, and where you are in your faith and in your walk and, and what area you need to be learning. I began by saying a way of phrasing this overall question is, is what does it mean to be discipled by Jesus? And so go back to that as where do you need to be discipled in your life right now? And it's not me. It's not a Bible study group. It's not, those are all things that might help you. But in the end, it's Jesus who is doing the discipling, right? It's not the church. It's not any programs or anything like that. It's Jesus Christ himself who is the one who is leading and teaching you. I mean, take advantage of all the things going on, for sure. Um, But remember that it's not those things that are supposed to be providing your faith and your sustenance for your faith. It's Jesus himself. And the table and the meal is a great reminder of that. Because when we come to this table, we receive from Jesus. We receive from him directly.